So there's this, uh, I, I think it's true, uh, just kind of a way we've always done it sort of tale. This is a picture of railroad tracks here in North America. And, and uh, railroad tracks, I don't know if anybody knows how far apart the, they are, how, how far gauged they are apart. That's exactly it, four foot, eight and a half inches. But why? Well, because that's what they were in England. And, oh, we might have, see, I said, I think this is true. I think it is. But uh, maybe afterwards, Al, we'll, 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 we'll talk through the urban myth legend here or whatnot. By the way, this true or not true story doesn't have any bearing on the truth of God's word. Amen? Uh, <laughs> Laodicea. Uh, doesn't depend on this, but th I, I, I did the research on this. I, I think this is kind of where this, this has come from, but uh, uh, as far as it is, is that it's the same as what it is in England, and uh, why is it that way? It's the, it's the gauge of the tramways that were used uh, of the railroad tracks in England, and so then the I do see a little head nod, so uh, we're, we are starting to track here. Tracking, uh, no pun intended actually, and then, uh, but then why were the tramways uh, spaced that far apart? And the idea is there is that uh, it's because that's, uh, they, they built the tramways using the same tools as they used to build uh, wagons. And then how far apart were the wagon wheels? Well, they were that same far apart because the wagon wheels had to fit the ruts that the imperial chariots made in the road system. And so I do see a final ending here. Of a, of a, I got a thumbs up, all right? So this might still be true. And uh, so this is a picture here. I took it in Laodicea. Uh, and, and you can actually see these ruts that are out there. And uh, uh, so, so you can actually see these, these Roman imperial chariots. They, they were in that ruts. And, and I, I wish I'd known this because when I was there, I would, I would have wanted to like actually take the tape measure and, and on these particular ruts. And I saw them in other, other uh, bigger cities as well. Once in a while, you kind of see them in, in these big city streets uh, uh, out there. But uh, uh, whether or not that's true or not, uh, it doesn't exactly have a lot to do with the sermon. Other than that, I got this picture in Laodicea, and that's just pretty neat. So, but uh, Laodicea was an important city. It was an important city, like all these, these cities that we've been looking at in Revelation have been important uh, cities as well. Uh, it was a beautiful, well-to-do city. Uh, it was, uh, it, it had a lot of blessing. It was, it was doing very well. However, it seems as though a lot of its well-to-do-ness uh, was a bit of its downfall as well in Laodicea. And so, uh, yes, we're on Laodicea. This is uh, a sad news uh, uh, and also glad news. We get to continue on through Revelation uh, after this sermon. We've been in a mini-sermon series going through these letters to the seven churches. I hope you guys have really enjoyed them. We've really enjoyed them at our church. Um, and uh, I, I love working with Pastor David on this stuff. I mean, he's just such a wealth of knowledge and and uh, I, I, he's a pastor I can work with. I can't work with all pastors. There's a lot of pastors who are got a little crazy ideas, and David's solid, so it's so nice to work with, a solid guy. Um, but uh, uh, so, yeah, he, he's out there, and, and this is the last one. Uh, I've really enjoyed going through these, these seven churches, and then God will bless us. But I guess uh, enough with the introduction. We should read the passage. And so before we read God's word, let us... Uh, uh, thank him for his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have not just left us 
uh, to guess about you, uh, to ponder about you with not knowledge, but you've given us knowledge. You've given us knowledge of you. You've given us knowledge of who we are to be in light of you. And we ask that uh, you open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts for what you want to say to us this morning through your word. Make it alive to us, as much alive as it was to the original Laodiceans as it is to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the letter that God wrote to the Laodiceans. I say Laodicea. Some people say Laodicea. Uh, you could say Laodicea with a K in there. Uh, I've heard great scholars uh, say it both ways uh, or all three different ways or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's kind of like a tomato-tomato. Uh, nobody's right or wrong. I actually have heard a couple people say tomato. I was like, oh, I've never actually heard people say that, but people do say that. This is one of the times where postmodernism can actually win, where actually you can both be right. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's a good thing. Postmodernism doesn't win very much, but, uh, uh, but here it's all right. You can have your cake and eat it too. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, that you are, are I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would you that you were either hot or cold? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing the truth of the matter is, is that you're actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this sermon, or this, this sermon, this letter that uh, Christ has given to the Laodiceans begins with the Amen. Uh, and the Amen is the Amen of Christ. What does Amen mean? It, it means it is true. So be it, there's a truthness to the word of Amen. And, and the trueness of the Amen of Christ is going to stand in stark contrast to the non-Amen of Laodicea, the untrueness of Laodicea. It's sort of these, these Christ titles set up the tension that is found in here. And, and if you study this passage, if you read it and you were to study it, what is one thing that you would really notice 
in this passage. And if you compare, you contrast it to the other passages, always has a Christ title, and then it goes into this commendation. You have this, and, and I, I, I really want to encourage you to continue to stand strong. And then there's a, a, a warning of, hey, you're not doing this. But, but what do you notice is it skips the commendation. There is none for the Laodiceans. There is no, you guys are doing really great. Everything in here, at, like it goes straight into, this is your problem. This is your problem. Why no praise at all? It's just all negative. Only Sardis and Laodicea have just go straight into the correction here. And, and, but what did Laodicea have going for it? It was rich. It was, it was actually doing very well. Um, the Laodiceans were known for their work in medicine. They had a certain type of rock there that they, that they crushed into a certain kind of powder. So it was called Phygrian powder. It, and, and you put water with it and made an eye salve that was supposedly really good for eyes. And they were known for it, Phygrian powder. They were, they were good that way. They were the wealthiest city in Phygra, the, the whole area of the land. They were the wealthiest city. There's some coinage of uh, different cities that we have, and we have coinage of, of Laodicea, and, and some of the coins actually have pictures of, of just, of not even Caesar. Almost all the times, if you see a picture on a coin in that time, it's of a Caesar or something like that. But, but they actually had some pictures of just some rich, wealthy people from Laodicea, right? That, that, that it wasn't just reserved for just Caesars and things like that. Um, and, and so they had really wealthy people there. Uh, and, and they were known for their uh, wool industry. Uh, this is where we're at here in Asia Minor. Um, they were known for, oh, there's some other pictures if you just wanted to see Laodicea there and whatnot. Beautiful, beautiful city. Um, they were known for their wool industry. They, they had a big textile industry, and they had this black wool that um, was just really sought after. It was, it was great. They were styling. Their clothes were great. And uh, nice, glossy, soft black wool. They were also known for earthquakes, and that might not sound like it's a good thing, but if you go to Laodicea, you see this, this, uh, this thing in, at the entrance, and it talks about all the different earthquakes. There's, there's a notable earthquake that happened in 60 AD. And uh, 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 when it hit, they, uh, they basically uh, said, we don't actually need any help rebuilding. You see, there's, there was uh, help programs for all the different cities under the control of, of Rome. And Rome would be like, we're, we're ready to help you. We're going to help you. And they always would take that. But uh, Tacitus, a Roman historian, uh, he, he talked about Laodicea, that after the, the earthquake, Laodicea arose from the ruins by, her, by the strength of her own resources with no help from us. There's a, an earthquake that happened in Chile about in 2010, I think it was. And uh, so I, I remember that. And I remember also, too, how there were, um, <clears throat> there were a lot of countries, the U.S. and different places, were all like, hey, we want to help you guys. We want to come around you guys and help you. And Chile said, actually, guys, we're doing really just fine. We have quite a bit of money. We're rich. We're fine. We don't need your help. No, that's, that's fine. That's good. But then only like three months later, uh, a massive earthquake hit uh, Haiti. Just devastated them. And when they were offered help, they took it because they needed it. They were poor. They needed the help to rebuild. But like Chile, Laodicea was doing so well. 
I think Laodicea was, do, was doing even, comparatively speaking, even better than Chile. But, but they're like, we're doing well. We don't need anything. We're fine. We're fine. Archaeology might suggest also, too, that churches were plentiful in, in Laodicea as well. We're just doing great. You know, I, th- I think about that, too, and I think, uh, you know, when, when things are good, the economy's good, I, I think about, uh, uh, you know, how it's been in, in Calgary. I think even, you know, down here in High River and, and uh, uh, in, in, the, in the past years, when the oil prices are up, people are doing just fine. And, and, and so the city was doing well, right? The city's doing really good. We're, we're rocking. We're moving forward. And then also, too, then the churches were doing well, too. Churches were easily meeting their budgets and stuff like that. It's just like we got lots of money. We're fine. We're doing really well. We got enough good givers that are tapped into the oil industry, and they're rolling. We got people in construction. Construction is booming. But then, you know, then, then other times, oil prices drop. We, we start getting into the years that we are, and, and things start getting a little bit harder to connect. But, but what they had going for them in, in Laodicea was not a recession. It was just booming business, and their churches mirrored that booming business as well. They were self-sufficient. They were doing just fine. They had everything that they wanted. doesn't look at things always the way that we would. He always sees differently. Our eyes are different than Jesus' eyes. And, uh, and so I, I think of like where he says to Smyrna, you know, if you go back to, to the letter to Smyrna, it's like, you know, people say that you guys are poor. You guys aren't poor. When I look at you guys in Smyrna, you are rich. You are rich in faith. It's just, it's just there's, there's no commendation or, or, or uh, condemning words. There's only just commendation. There's only just encouragement to them. You, they say you're poor. You guys might think you're poor, but I am Jesus. And let me tell you, you're not poor. You are rich. And it's the exact opposite here that's going on in Laodicea. You guys think you're rich. You guys think you're doing well. Well, let me tell you, you guys are poor. You guys are poor. Jesus has to say it to them to cut through their confirmation bias because they think they're doing well. And I, you know, I don't know where each one of you guys are on an individual basis. I think a lot of us are at different spaces. Uh, sometimes one of these other letters or two of these letters or three of these letters might really be connecting to us. And then maybe the other ones we don't feel connected to as much. We feel like, yeah, that could be more for somebody else. And I think that might be fair. It's like we're at different stages and phases, right? The, the God's word to Laodicea might actually be God's word to you in about five years. Maybe not today, but it might be. We need to hear this now so that we're ready for in five years. What if, what if we are in the same kind of ruts, in a sense, as where Laodiceans were? But kind of just looking at this, instead of, of complimenting the Laodiceans on just, oh, you guys are doing so well, he goes right at them, and he calls them lukewarm. And this is not a good thing, to be lukewarm. Now, a lot of people think about the idea of being lukewarm. Uh, they, they, they use it in the, in the sense that uh, 
that uh, uh, you got, you're either like on fire for Christ, like you're, you're passionate, or you're like completely anti-Christ. Like you either love Jesus or you hate Jesus. And it, and it almost seems like Jesus is saying here, I'd rather you love me or hate me, but because you're more neutral, that's a good thing, or that's bad. Now, I think that there are aspects how that could be true in, in life. I think sometimes one of the most dangerous places for us to be is just like, yeah, I'm not opposed to Jesus, but I'm just kind of like there, or, rather than maybe a passionate against Jesus, because some of the times that passion can be like leading for seeking truth, and then they like kind of like Lee Strobel, who is passionately trying to just nail Jesus away and like this stupid Christian idea stuff and he's going to prove it all wrong and he goes down that road with all that passion and then he's like wow the evidence just says this is actually all true there is a case for Christ right so I think that's true I think that's true but that's not what this passage is saying I, I think that can happen but that's not this passage and and now you don't have to go to, uh, to, to all these places to understand and read the Bible. But sometimes looking, knowing the geography and stuff like that does give us some insight as to what's going on. And, and this one stands out a little bit as one of those. So it's kind of nice to kind of understand the geographical setting of Laodicea. So here you have actually a tri-city uh, area, right? So here's Laodicea, and here's Heropolis, and here's Colossae. Uh, you know, when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, right, Colossae, uh, and, and uh, so it's like a little tri-city area with the meandering river. It meanders through the valley. It's called the Meander River, and so there's a connection with the, with the word. But uh, uh, this is this tri-city area, and, and if you understand that area, you might, we might kind of understand, too, what, what, Paul, uh, what Jesus is getting at here with this uh, lukewarmness. So Colossae is only about 10 miles east of, of uh, Laodicea, and, and they had other things going for them. What they, one big thing that they had going for them was their water. Their water was cold, mountain spring refreshing water. You, you taste it. I mean, sometimes you go to some places, some cities, and you're like, wow, I just really like this water. You go to Iron Springs, and it's like, uh, sorry. I mean, I, I think there's great stuff in Iron Springs. Water's not their forte, all right? But, uh, uh, but anyway, you go to some place, they had, Colossae had great water, great water. And it stood apart from the other water that's in Hierapolis. Uh, Hierapolis, so yeah, so that's, Hierapolis is right over here. Uh, so this is at Colossae. Um, and then uh, uh, Hierapolis, I took this picture in Laodicea, and you can actually kind of see, uh, you can see Hierapolis in the distance, and it's all this whiteness that it can, so, it's sometimes referred to as the cotton castle, because um, this is on, on the, the top of Hierapolis, and you see all this calcium carbonate, this, this tavertine uh, uh, stuff, right? So it's kind of the same type of stuff that might build up in your shower walls, that little white stuff that kind of gets in there and whatnot. But it, but it had all this stuff, and because it was all this hot springs water, and so their water wasn't awesome for drinking, but man, their water was healing, right? It, it had a healing aspect to it. And people would go there, uh, still go there to, to bathe in that water, right? It's, it's warm, healing ref, ref, waters. And, and so that's good. But Laodicea didn't have the hot springs. That was good water. 
It didn't have the cool, refreshing spring water of, of Colossae. So two good waters, hot water, refreshing cold water. It had water, didn't have a good natural water source, so it had to pipe water in through, the, through an aqueduct system. And, uh, and, and it got their waters from an area that had hot spring stuff too. But by the time it got to, to Laodicea, it wasn't hot, good. It wasn't cold, good. It was lukewarmish. And coming from the source that it had, I would imagine it also had sort of a sulfuric bleh, taste to it as well. It's just, it's just not good. So this isn't an, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's not an issue of, of atheism versus apathy kind of thing. This is just, hey, other churches have something good going for them. They have those things going good for them. You guys got nothing good going for you. You're like your water. That's what he's saying. And now, um, I, I uh, generally prefer the ESV over the NIV because of how it translates it. But uh, here, actually, both ESV and NIV don't do a good job translating this word. It, they both uh, give us a nice, easy way of translating it, saying spit. Because you are neither, because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Spitting is not a good translation to this. Because the word here has a more guttural flavor to this word. This isn't that someone uh, just, uh, like, like Jesus just sipping the water, and like, mm, I just don't prefer this water, I'm going to spit it out. Oh, I really like it. But this is this word, um, uh, emesai, actually is uh, uh, has a guttural idea. And and if you are up on all your medical terminology, there's a if you were to maybe have an overdose of drugs or something, and you're in the hospital, they'll give you an emetic, right? An emetic to help you throw up, because you got stuff in here that needs to come out. So they give you an emetic. And that's the Greek word emesai for this word. And, and so there's nothing about, I have this in my mouth, I'm going to just spit it out. I don't prefer you. It's not that. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like think about, you, you went to, the, you were really thirsty for some milk. You grabbed the milk jug and you jugged it, chugged it from the jug. And then you drank quite a bit because you were really thirsty. And then you smelled it and like, oh. And then you start feeling that feeling in your gut, and it starts gurgling, and it, I need to vomit. This is God's church in Laodicea. He doesn't say, hey guys, you're doing some really good stuff here, but you should work on this. You guys make me want to throw up. You make me want to throw up. I don't even have a good word to say to you right now. You make me want to throw up. You think you're doing so good. You make me want to throw up. Christ relates their self-righteous, their arrogant, smug sufficiency to being to him so repulsive as their water system. He actually addresses all the things that they would have taken pride in, and he flips it all. He says, you guys are poor, naked, blind. He addresses it really twice in here. He says, you're poor. Their wealth was well attested. They even claim, we're rich. We don't need a thing. And he says, trade that wealth in for my gold. You don't know what wealth is. I can give you wealth, true wealth, like, like they have in Smyrna. 
You guys are naked. No, we're not naked. We're styling with our nice black wool clothes. We look good. See, you don't look good. Trade that in for my pure white robes of righteousness. He says that they're blind. So we're not blind. We got, we got a good healthcare system here. I mean, and if we did have eye problems, we got this Figrin powder. He says, no, you don't need that. You need a different kind of salve to put on your eyes. A salve that I can put on so that you can actually truly see because you're blind. We see this in other places of scripture. Go through the book, Gospel of John. You see this blindness. All the people, they thought they could see good. And, and Jesus is saying, you can't see good. Looking with different eyes. He has different ways of measuring success than we often do. Jesus is saying to them, you guys are more needy than you know. You're more needy than you know. They would not have known this. They thought they were the exact opposite view for them. I could just imagine them all being up. All these churches, right? Like, hey, here's the letters. Here's your letter. Here's your letter. Here's your letter. Here's your letter, right? Starting with Ephesus, right? Then I think it goes to, is, is Smyrna next, I think? Uh, which one's next? My memory's not nearly as good as David. He's got like some photographic kind of thing going on. Um, it, it starts with, with Ephesus, then Smyrna, right? And, and then to, to Pergamum, and then to Thyatira, and then to uh, uh, Sardis, and then Philadelphia, and then Laodicea, right? They're all lined up, and it starts with Ephesus. Hey, you got an awesome uh, going in this. Oh, but by the way, you got this problem. And then is it to, to Smyrna, you guys, I'm not going to say anything negative to you, and, and, and I'm just going to just say keep going. Hold, hold fast. Hold the faith. You kind of keep going through this stuff. You get to, to Pergamum and Sardis, and it's just like you guys, or Thyatira, you guys got a big problem. You're too tolerant. You're too tolerant of wickedness. Don't you dare continue to tolerate that stuff and, and kind of going through and you can just see you, you just see uh uh the Laodicean church in a sense if they're all lined up it was like oh man yeah good on Nephesus and oh yeah well that's a bad thing oh man hey they didn't even get a negative thing and and they only just got positive and oh man how could they dare tolerate that stuff and, and you could just see him and it's like he goes this way this way and it's like oh there's seven churches we're seventh in line Jesus saved the best for last because there were a couple churches that didn't get any, any rebuke. That's going to be us too because we're doing so awesome. What did they get from him? Just rebuke because they saw things so differently than Jesus saw them. They were doing so well. They were rich, but they were really poor. That's a problem with the prosperity gospel, too. It's so, such a weird thing. Prosperity gospel would say, you're, you know, this is a sign of God's blessing for you. That you, your business is going to do so well, and, and you're going to have all this money, and God wants all these good things for you. But you know what's interesting is what draws you away from God? The very things that the prosperity gospel offers is the exact thing that people have to struggle with that it doesn't draw them from God. It, they just had it wrong. Um, There's a picture 
of uh, the movie of Rocky Three. And if you can remember Rocky Three, at the beginning of the movie, uh, it kind of shows the glory of, of the past movie and Rocky's fight. He's all victorious. He gets the championship. And, and, and he's like doing all these big uh, 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 things with the media. He's like running with kids and a bunch of photo ops. And he's like, boom. And he, he defends his title like 10 times. But, but they were all just kind of handpicked titles. But he's just doing well. He got a whole bunch of money from this stuff. So he's got a mansion. He's just, he's posh. He's like, look at this place. He's just living in luxury. But in the midst of all this, a guy, a clubber, this is Mr. T, the, the, the character Mr. T, and, and he's like, I want to fight you. I want to challenge you for the title. And, uh, and Sylvester Stallone's uh, Rocky's like, oh, yeah, sure, let's fight, man. Let's do it. And, uh, and, and his trainer says, I'm not. I'm not going to train you for that one. He's like, why not? Well, he's going to kill you, Rocky. He's a fighter. He's scrappy. He wants it. He, he'll kill you inside of three rounds. He'll destroy you. It's not just like one will win, one will lose. He'll kill you. And I can't see, let to see that happen. I'm not going to be a part of that. And so uh, uh, he, he, says, he says to Rocky in, in, in this scene, he says, the worst thing happened to you, Rocky. Thing that, worst thing that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. You got civilized. Rocky lost the scrap. He lost the grit. He got comfortable. He got soft. You got civilized. The Laodiceans. I don't think they were like that always at the beginning. I'd imagine that, that to go from being pagan to worshiping God, like they, they probably had a pretty good start. There was probably a good beginning. But at some point along the lines, they enjoyed, like all, all my friends get to enjoy all these things. All my friends get to enjoy this well stuff. All my friends get to go on these vacations to Hierapolis. All my friends get this and stuff like that. And they let it get to their Christian faith. They got civilized. I don't think that we're immune to that. Even when we're at our worst, we're still far wealthier than than the majority of the world. A lot of our churches can get civilized, culturalized. And we start mirroring and looking like the rest of it, and we lose our fight. We lose our passion for the kingdom and got civilized. And so Jesus doesn't just leave them there. He loves them too much to leave them there. He says, so I advise you, I counsel you, come to me for your riches, come to me for your health, come to me for your successes. What standard do you use to evaluate the level of your success in life as a Christian? We're tempted to become like the Laodicean church. Nice, nice places, comfortable membership roles even in the church. Sometimes we can get to that spot where we got good membership roles. Oh man, we met the budget really good. We actually didn't even have to put out a plea. That means that we're doing good, right? If If we hit our budget just right, we're doing good. That means we're doing good, right? 
Are we being spiritual about the way that we see this all? Are we more concerned with being rich materially than being rich spiritually? Or are maybe we're even possibly confusing the two. These are gracious words of Jesus Christ. He says, those whom I love. So, I mean, it's not like he's all after Laodicea. He loves them. Those whom I love, I also discipline. I reprove and I discipline. If God goes after you, if God convicts you, it's because he loves you. If he wasn't going after you, that's when you're really in trouble. If God doesn't prick your conscience. So, so be zealous and repent. This is a grace that Christ has not given up on them. He calls them to himself. And he's right there, knocking on their heart's door. At one point, uh, archaeologically, uh, uh, this, this uh, Laodicea had 20 churches or so. Uh, this church actually uh, may be the, uh, the church, uh, this is the oldest uh, picture, or, or like a, a archaeologically, that we have of the Jesus fish. The ichthus image is on the, the, a mosaic right down here in this, in this room, in this church. And I, it seems as though the church ended up doing all right uh, at, at some point. So I hope that it seems like they took Jesus' word. But Jesus is knocking on the door of the church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. How is this verse often used? It's often used in the context of evangelism, right? Like the, the Christian evangelist to the non-Christian. saying so Jesus is knocking on your door. And they'll quote this passage. But, and I think that God can use that. I think he has. But that's not what, again, this chapter, this, this section, this passage has two things. You know, the lukewarm one and then also this one. Where it's not really the meaning of, of that passage. This is, this is Jesus knocking on the door to the Christian. This is a call to the lukewarm Christian church. You may ask, are these Christians in the church, maybe, not coming, okay, did you go? Nothing? Thank you. You heard the knocking, right? Okay. So, at some point, Jesus is standing outside the church, his church, in Laodicea, knocking asking to be let back in. Think about that picture. This is not to the non-Christian. This is not to some secular gathering. This is to the church. And we need to ask that question of our churches. I ask the same question to my church in Covenant in, in, in Calgary last week. We need to ask that question. In what ways have we pushed Jesus outside? Have what, in what ways have we said we are sufficient now? No, we needed Jesus to get started. 
We needed him to get us going, but man, we're fine now. Personally, to ask that question, how sufficient are you? Are you sufficient in your own ways? Is there a self-sufficiency? Is there a self-righteousness? Or do we recognize that we're always completely dependent upon the sufficiency of Jesus Christ? Always. I'm not sure, again, like I said, if, if this letter is really to you in the, your space of life. It might not be. You may be in that spot where it says, all to Jesus, I surrender everything I give to him. I, I, I got nothing except for him. The only wealth I have is found in him. I'm not as amazing as people might think I am. I'm completely dependent on him. You might be there. This, this might then just be an encouragement to continue on in that. Or maybe, like I said, maybe this is the word for you for five years from now. Maybe you'll fall into some money as a whole church or as an individual, get some big, uh, you know, uh, thing from some deceased family member or something like that. And you didn't really have much before, but now you have a bunch and now you feel like, oh, what should I do with this? I should go on vacation a lot. I should kind of really start focusing a lot on it. Like maybe, maybe this is the word for your five years from now. I don't know. But, but we need to write with this passage. The word here is Christian, let Christ back in. Let Christ. No matter how nice we have it, we are always more needy than we know. Zeal and passion for Christ will come when we understand that. He ends this way. Those I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is some major victory stuff here. We have to come to Christ in that way though. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Help us to understand our shortcomings. Help us to know that we can never be sufficient on our own. Help us to see things the way that you see them, Jesus Christ. Help us to see wealth the way that you see it. And we see in your word you've used many amazing wealthy people throughout scripture in awesome ways. We've also seen how it can be a hindrance. We ask that you help us to see money rightly. We ask that you help us to see membership roles rightly. We ask that you help us to see peace with society rightly. We ask that you help us to see our relationships with other people 
rightly. Help us to be peacemakers and not just peacekeepers. Help us to be zealous for you. Wherever we are blind, poor, naked, give us what we stand in need of. Because we are always needy of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.